0: All right, guys, our next guest was the longtime host of the Luke Thomas show until recently when he made his huge move to CBS Sports. That makes him on CBS, Showtime for Morning Combat, and of course his famous live chat. And he's here today to help us preview UFC 253 Adesanya versus Costler. The one and only Luke Thomas, straight out of his hotel room in Connecticut, as he's about to preview the Charlotte Brothers pay per view this coming weekend. Welcome back to the show, man. How's life?
1: I'm glad to be here, gentlemen. Thank you for having me.
2: You're looking very sharp, Luke, in those glasses. And before we break down the fights itself, we just want to say a big congratulations to you, man, for the big move to CBS. We were lucky enough to visit the series studios in New York when you were there, and everybody was fantastic. But what's it like being, being for you to you know, go to CBS so far? And what are you most excited for? And what, I, I suppose, what can fans really look forward to with this big change?
1: What am I most excited for? That's interesting. Um, I would say I'm most excited about um, just getting an elevated profile. I think that's going to take some time to work itself out, but I think the things that CBS is telling me and the kind of content they want me to do is going to put me in a position. You know, it's not always just about like, oh, more people will see you, but you. it, it certainly helps that, you know, uh, to the extent you can get that maximized, it puts you in a better spot. I think doing the kind of content that I would more readily want to do, um, you know, I really got burned out on interviews. I realized I don't like playing the game. That go, I mean, everyone's different. If you guys like doing it, it's okay, but it's just not – I'm not saying it's not for me. I, I will still do them, but just not very often because I, all I ever really wanted to do was to be an analyst, both of the business and then of the sport itself and, and that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And this puts me a lot closer to that. And uh, obviously, you know, I'll be making my, I told you guys on your show, (laughs) I'm going to actually be on television with boxing before I am with MMA. 15 years in the trenches and boxing came calling first. So, um, you know, getting an opportunity to do things, I feel like I've worked a long time for. No one owes you anything, of course, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it yeah and
2: by the way again congratulations we're so excited for it and it's, it's so great to see boxing sort of embracing of course just a matter of time till you you're the next joe rogan here in mma but i'm just curious what are your thoughts on the current landscape of mma media because me and cass we always talk about it uh, some of the peers in the ind- industry as well and it seems like things are really changing you know there was kind of that era you had ariel and yourself and a lot of the big names at some of the, the smaller niche websites and now a lot of people have sort of gone over to ESPN and a lot of things has, have changed and people are getting their news in different ways. For example, the long format podcast, even what we used to do, where there would be four or five interviews and we'd go for many, many, many hours is switched to smaller, shorter episodes, maybe one interview put, being put out. And I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the sort of movements in MMA media right now where it's all really going?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's one I was actually talking to. Uh, I, was br- I was talking to Brian Campbell about it last night. And my view has been that, like, I watched sort of the several generations of things happen, which is to say, like, at first there were a couple of very small sites, um, or even like sort of modestly big sites, like the early stage Sherdog and the early stage MMA Weekly run under Ryan Bennett. And then a lot of it was on forums, mixed martial arts.com, previously MMA.TV being a very famous one. Mm -hmm. And then you saw this pro, you saw this move towards more. uh, I would say professional news sites. Uh, USA Today bought out MMA Junkie, uh, Vox Media bought, bought out Bloody Elbow, MMA Mania, um, uh, eventually MMA Fighting from AOL. AOL was, of course, um, the, the, the first people to put out MMA Fighting. And then the MMA website kind of became the very preeminent stage for the sports um, in general, not in totality, but in general more preeminent and established uh, and, and noteworthy talent, and I think that has somewhat declined. It's not to say that the websites don't serve a valuable function, or that most people still don't go to them, or whatever. They certainly do. If you are on one of these websites, you're in a very, very privileged position, and that should be clear. But you know, relative to how that was, maybe 2012 or so, I don't think it's quite as much. And to your point, you now see uh, more I think people in this space who've been in it a little bit longer. You know, moving to television or, um, um, you know, in the case of what you see over in Sirius XM, uh, radio, or in my case, a bit of a hybrid of certain things, uh, a little bit of television, a lot of internet, that kind of thing. So, um, but they're off these, these, all these like these, uh, you know, they were owned by major companies, but they were kind of niche platforms. And then to your point, there's also sort of this proliferation of social media where a lot of people can break news, mm. where a lot of news is disseminated, a lot of mm. analysis is disseminated. I think it's kind of broken up a little bit. The concentration is broken up a little bit and then reconcentrated in other ways. But I think the biggest takeaway that I would have is that the MMA website... Uh, again, still quite valuable, but not w- quite what it once was.
0: I mm, 100% agree. And also, just going back to your move to CBS, for me, the big takeaway is it's good to see somebody who has worked for so hard and so long sort of be rewarded in that. You know, sometimes you're kind of mm. rooting for people to get that big push, and you're like, man, if this guy never got that, that would be an absolute crime. So we're personally very happy for you, Luke. Um, Alright, looking at a Destiny versus Costa, we, we have to address this interaction they shared in the Abu Dhabi hallway, where they kind of sized each other up and, and sort of joked around and you know they were very cordial i'm curious what did you make of it i know when i first saw it i was like what the fuck is this they're, this is meant to be bad blood what is going on they're touching shoulders i was like i'm not happy about this been lied to i don't like it at all and then i re-watched it and i was like actually no you know what there was kind of some tension there was a little bit of like both guys trying to alpha male each other israel maybe trying to big brother costa but it just seems so weird and i thought you know i, I was looking forward to if they were going to do a presser or Wayne's that moment where like, oh my God, they finally came face to face. I just didn't expect it like this. And I wonder what you made of it. Should that video have even been released? I wonder if Dana White was just like, oh, what are you, what are you doing? Releasing a video like this, where we're marketing this around bad blood. And I wonder if you think, you know, this, this does anything mentally for either guy, whether, you know, Paul Acosta had that, I don't know, this mystique about him of, you know, that, that has gone out the window now that he's come face to face with Israel Adesanya.
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I've I've watched uh, all of his fights in the UFC in preparation for Saturday, and there are several times where excuse me, yeah, where Costa has opponents that he you know uh, helped up off the canvas or shook hands with or hugged with or had positive things to say about. Like it's not always been when he's like I'm going to be aggro all the time in your face 100 miles an hour, you know, all piss and vinegar and nothing else. And, you know, he can he can sort of be. Uh, a wild man in the cage and then, you know, reasonably normal, I suppose, um, outside of it. You're like, well, what about a guy like Adesanya where they had this, uh, obviously, terribly bad blood? Mm -hmm. I think it's probably a couple things. I mean, you know, who knows what the time change and all the travel has done to them uh, in terms of, like, you know, how much energy do I want to put into this? They probably have also been told, you know, um, and they understand, like, anything that jeopardizes the fight is going to be very bad for your career they're already under very strict circumstances you know these 48-hour lockdowns in their room maybe that plays a role but honestly the thing i think about it most is they didn't want to be the guy to lose their cool in front of the other guy they both kind of wanted to play it cool mm. and then it just sort of worked out the way that it did which everyone was like i thought you guys hate each other but between the, all those other things factors that i mentioned and then just you know realizing You've said everything you could possibly say about this guy. You've done every interview you could possibly do on either side, in Portuguese and in English for Boa and then certainly, um, you know, whether it's Kiwi Press, Australian Press, American Press, whatever, Adesanya has done a number of it. What else is there to say? What else are you going to do? You know, I mean, do we have to, like, sit here and have shoving matches every time people pass each other in the hallway? Yes. These guys are established. No, just kidding. Well, Adesanya much more so, but, you know, it's like, dude, here's the thing. Do, does anybody actually think the fight is going to be different as a consequence? I couldn't imagine arguing that position. It's going to be as intense and brutal as it ever was. So a funny curiosity is what I would say, but not much more than that. It's funny because it almost reminds me a little bit of back in the day when some people still thought pro
2: wrestling was real. And there was that one incident where they called the Iron Sheik, I think with Jim Duggan um, in a DUI with a big bowl of cocaine. And they were both <laughs> playing a good guy and a bad guy that's the storyline together. And that blew people's minds. And I think people think back to that moment in Melbourne, you know, when Israel's on the cage doing the stone-cold double fingers. And now they're in the hallway sort of complimenting each other a little bit and being friendly. So maybe some people were like, oh, we're being rude." But regardless, the fight should be interesting because Paulo Costa, interestingly enough, leading into the Yael Romero fight. And I believe he said some stuff about Yoel going in there. Um, was quite friendly with Yol Romero during fight week as well, and quite res- a lot more respectful than he was leading into that fight too. So it doesn't really say anything about the fight like you mentioned, Luke. But when looking at the juggernaut that is Costa, it is, it is fair to say that he does his best work against the cage. And with Israel's great lateral footwork, how success- successful do you think he can be at getting Israel there and keeping him there long enough to be able to really cause some damage?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the central tension of the fight, right? I mean, that's really what it's about. Uh, You know, I don't think, I have to go back and verify this, but I I have my notes up here. I don't think Costa has scored a knockdown that wasn't behind the two black lines, which is that short space between the sort of last third of the canvas and then the cage itself. All of his best work comes once they have stepped back, and that's true for a lot of fighters. But it's like especially true for him, which is to say, for example, Adesanya has, you know, knockdowns there, but he's got him right in the middle of the cage as well. Right. So he can do it in a lot of different ways. And so to your point, with the lateral movement of Adesanya, how much will that undercut it? So uh, probably a lot. Um, The good thing or uh, to me, the task at hand for Adesanya is, yes, to stay on your horse, but more than that, to weaponize Costa's forward movement against him. It's not merely getting out of the way, although I think that will be a part of it, to be clear, right? You can't weaponize it in every second of every instance of every round. But really what will slow him down or take that away or something would be, one, the lateral movement, so getting away, making it not effective, and then making him desperate or something or changing what he was doing. Two, punishment to the legs. There is some tape evidence, and I'm going to say some, not a ton, to indicate that Costa is susceptible to leg kicks because of that forward pressure, right? And so I wonder what Adesanya might do there. He is a a leg kicker, but not a heavy leg kicker, so that will be an interesting thing. But to me, the really big thing that Adesanya is going to have to do to weaponize that forward pressure against Costa is rhythm changes. Uh, There's been a couple of times, including the, the Romero fight, the Hall fight, and I think even to an extent the Bengboche fight, well, what would happen is you have Costa barreling into these guys, right? I mean, just marching them down. And, you know, he's, that's a hard thing to deal with because the thing about it is Costa has a really good chin. Mm. So what you saw, I think, in the hall and especially in the Romero fight even was they would fake or throw or something to get a reaction out of him. And then he would march back on the same kind of timing track and they would go in a broken rhythm and then change it and he would walk right into something. Right. So he was just walking into these strikes and they landed. And I think in one of the fights, I have to go back and see which one it is. Maybe, was it the Hall fight, the Bing Boshe fight? One of the two, he gets dropped as a consequence. Um, Now, he immediately recovered. So it wasn't a thing. But, you know, the best kind of strikes are the ones they don't see coming. If he can sit there and wait on you and then cover up, those are gonna be harder strikes to land, but if he's barreling into you and you're switching on a broken rhythm and he just marches into a punch that he did not anticipate coming because his timing wouldn't let him, those are gonna land with more authority. So yes, the lateral movement to me is going to be a key, but that rhythm change with the lateral movement and then potentially even some leg kicking or, you know, jabs to the body, other things that you can do a little bit at distance and then get away, those are all going to be pretty key.
0: Yeah, and to sort of add a few things to that, um, uh, by the way, it was, it was the Uriah Hall fight where Costa got dropped kind of really close to the cage as he was coming in. I think that was kind of one of the few times where he's looked very, very uh, human and susceptible to strikes. You know, in the Romero fight, he was just taking massive shots. Um, but obviously he throws really looping, uh, hooks and punches. Do you think that could be a problem when facing, you know, a really long and rangy guy like Israel? Um, off the rhythm changes, you also mentioned. Uh, I, I reckon the feints would be a fascinating thing from Israel. And with those two things mentioned, how effective do you think Costa's body work will be in this fight? Because he has incredible body shots, but you know, with all that mentioned, it might be a bit tough for him to land them in this fight.
1: Yeah, uh, he has. To your point, you you are so correct tremendous body work uh, if you look at the breakdown from a numerical standpoint how much of his targeting goes to the body um, it's nearly four out of every uh, 10 strikes and that's a lot because he's doing like another 50% to the head so he's only doing marginally more to the head than he does to the body and then a little bit of leg kicking himself that is significant so you're right I mean it, it goes a little bit at for him and against him okay so so the trajectory of the punch they take longer to get there. Um, because of the nature of the way he throws them with that outside whip. On the other hand, um, you know, when they land, they're devastating. And two, he doesn't mind taking a shot to do it. And three, even if he kind of sneaks one through, it can be impactful enough to, to change someone, right? So they, they kind of block it, they kind of get in the way of it, but they begin to feel it. And then the you can see the wheels turning in his opposition, like... Oh, I don't want to do that again. I mean, the point is, if you have—I—I I brought this up with Adesanya himself, mm-hmm. which is when you have those big-ass gloves in kickboxing or boxing. There's a lot of shield, relatively speaking, to hide behind. Costa has some success because he might be wild and a little bit, um, you know, less technical, a lot less technical than Adesanya. But he's such a bruising marauder that the, with the gloves, he gets—he can get away with a lot. That's just the reality of the of the sport. So he doesn't have to land all that cleanly to begin to start making an impact. Obviously, to really win, I think he does. Uh, But the other thing to to really realize is also he's got great body kicks. And one thing that he does with the body kicks is, one, just, you know, that rear roundhouse up the gut, those are powerful. Mm. A lot of times he'll throw certain kicks to steer you into one of his punches. Now, not as gifted as Conor McGregor does, but it's something that McGregor has sort of made famous as, 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 as a depth of a striker as he is. So there's a couple of different ways where it's like, Okay, you can he can attack you at a different range because of the body kicks and he can get you to go uh, away from them and then if he's adept and clever enough and I think he'll you know he's still young, he's getting better, he can then find a home for his punches. So that this is why for Adesanya, you don't even want to let him get started, right? I mean, there's going to be some countering opportunities, but I really think he's going to be have to be the one in general leading the dance because once that guy starts setting the terms, that's when the problems began.
2: Mm. And you know, for the people out there who believe that you know, because Kelvin was able to catch Israel multiple times, and Costa will, able, will be able to do so too and finish him, what do you make of that theory? And um, do you think Israel has fixed those mistakes? And what exactly were they? Because it's interesting to also note that in the Yoel Romero fight, we also saw the moment when Yoel was able to land a strike. It kind of changed things a little bit for Israel and his game plan too. So. A lot of people are wondering what's going to happen if Costa starts landing
1: those shots as well. I think it's a great question. I mean, what went wrong? Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, the big difference is that Adesanya was intentionally waiting on him, right? There were moments where, yes, Adesanya is using feints and fakes to try and disrupt him and all that kind of stuff. He uh, wasn't waiting on him just like, I'm going to sit here and just wait till he gets close. I don't mean it in that sense. But there are times when you can see him wait for uh, uh, gasoline to get close before he would pop him. Right? Remember, he doesn't just hope and throw or aim or hope and throw or throw and hope or whatever it is, he aims and fires. So there was, he wanted to wait for certain kinds of distances or looks before he pulled the trigger. Now that got him into a little bit of trouble because in that particular fight, that's like the best head movement Gastelum's ever shown. I mean, he was really weaving in there and then finding his way inside. It was actually pretty clever and a a great demonstration of skill. I don't think he's gonna be doing quite as much waiting around this time. I think he'll be a lot more proactive with all the things we've mentioned, movement, leg kicks potentially. Um, you might see a lot of teeps up the gut. That might be something you see a lot of as well. Uh, and then the various other tricks to manage how he gets uh, brought to him rather than just sort of a little bit more, there's just a little bit more idle in that particular case. And then remember, if he does get close and it's not against the fence line, Adesanya has a fantastic clinch too. Now you would not want your back along the fence. That would be <laughs> that would be very bad. But if you've got in the center of the cage, he might still be able to rip body shots, and that is something you probably don't want to do either. All I'm pointing out is, if there's somewhere where there's open space behind Adesanya's back and they're locked up in clinch range, dude, Adesanya has a phenomenal clinch. Uh, he knows how to move people. He knows how to find open strikes. He has elbows, knees. He's good at turning people, he's good at getting them off balance. There's a lot he can do there as well. So a couple of different things to think think about in those scenarios.
0: <clears throat> Just a couple of quick sort of theories that we want you to potentially dispel or, or comment on. Um, and, and the first one is, let's say Costa does land on Israel. How would you rate Costa's power? Because he's not really this one-punch walk-away KO kind of guy, you know, like, say, Inganu or even even a, a Vitor Belfort, who a lot of people compare him to. He typically kind of swarms people, and he, he breaks them with barrages of punches. Um, but he did manage to drop Romero with that really short left hook uh, as Romero was coming in. So how would you describe his power and and how long in the fight do you think it's good for? And just to add to that, what do you think the other narrative uh, of people saying that, look, if if Costa couldn't finish Romero, uh, oh, sorry, so if Romero couldn't finish Costa, there's no way Israel can finish Costa.
1: You know, to me, it's, um, you know, what kind of game plan uh, Adesanya uses, which is obvious. But what I mean to say is, to what extent is risk a component, Right especially, um, you know, after the Romero fight, I don't know how he's going to navigate that. To me, it's actually a big storyline no one's talking about. I don't think he's going there being like, wow, I really cannot do what happened in the Romero fight again. But at the same time, like, that one got a little dicey in terms of what the judges. We were like, how is this even going to go, you know? Um, I don't suspect we're going to get a repeat of two guys not really throwing all that much. I'm just saying, if I'm Adesanya, I would want some kind of scenario that provided a little bit more security uh, in terms of what I could anticipate. Now, in terms of cost as power, you asked how I would define it or rate it. I would describe it as follows. Game-changing, or at a bare minimum, round-changing. right? Which is to say, to your point, he doesn't go in there and like, um, so for example, I'm here to cover the Charlo brothers. Jamal Charlo, the bigger of the two brothers, has dropped multiple opponents with his jabs. Hmm. Now, why would something like that happen? Well, one, he's big and powerful, but the other point is he has such speed and timing that he can catch people, again, when they're kind of off balance or when they least expect it. But, you know, that is that is like a combination of athleticism and great skill. That's not exactly something that uh, uh, Bohashinya has, but how many times have we watched this guy land on somebody, body or head, and you immediately see them go, oh, I am in profound trouble, I cannot do this anymore. And then they begin to make a series of choices that they think are, are about survival, but then it only compounds their problem. Here is a guy that what he is looking for is to just find a break, find an opening, f- find, get you to change your behavior just a little bit, and then he steps on the gas. That's really what he's about. He is about finding a chink in the armor and then just ripping it wide open. And so you're right. He's not, I mean, who, who knows? He might go in there and flat one punch out of Sonya, and that wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. But if past his prologue, I think what he's going to look to do is hunt the guy, land on him a few times where now he's not making the same evasive choices. He's not making the same intercepting strikes. He's not thinking the same. And then really just a, like a dog on a bone go after him and that has worked out extraordinarily well for him to the point where it's worked out for him every single time that that's a that's a you know it's not a strategy without its drawbacks but it's a damn effective one
2: mm, it's going to be fascinating as well because we know he was dealing with a bicep injury and
1: i had a similar bicep injury as well where i
2: threw a silly punch and ripped my bicep off and i had to get a reattach and i remember for a really long time afterwards throwing that punch it's always at the back of your head, man. I hope this this arm can hold up, especially when you throw those looping power shots. And, of course, those looping power shots are a big part of his uh, calling card. But, Luke, just a couple more theories that people have on the fight, which is, number one, with the pressure on Israel after that Yoel Romero fight, how likely do you – and also, this being a five-round fight – how likely do you think it is that uh, Costa's team think, hey – Let's not engage early in the fight. Let's put the pressure on Israel again in this fight, especially with the last fight getting so much criticism. Let's make him come to us initially, and then let's save some of the energy for later on. And the second theory, you know, we haven't really seen much from Costa in terms of his jiu-jitsu, but we know his ground and pound is really, really good. How likely do you think he tries to surprise people and possibly even try and take it to the ground in certain parts of this fight?
1: All right, so the last part I'll say, you know, and who who the hell knows, but... I will confidently say I'd be I don't think he's going to take him down either either direction. I just don't see that. Uh, in terms of resource management, that is a more interesting question. Here's the thing. What do the numbers tell you about the one fight in the UFC that he had that went the distance, which was the Romero fight? What do the numbers tell you? What the numbers tell you is that in every round, Romero landed more than the subsequent one. Right, so landed more in the second than the first, more in the third than the second. In fact, in rewatching that, I'm fairly confident that Romero won that. That's my personal opinion. Mileage may vary, but I thought he did. Um, but the interesting feature, it was that Costa's numbers did not drop. They stayed about the same, right? So he gets hit more as time goes on, but he's able to have a similar level of output. But what does the tape say beyond what the numbers say? The tape says he doesn't throw with the same kind of ferocity as time goes on. And so uh, he's still kind of in there. He's not like, you know, he doesn't fall off a cliff or something, but he's not quite that early um, barbarian that he is, or he's not the the barbarian that he is late as he is early. So what are they going to do from a resource management? He is just not built for five rounds, and I don't care what they say. He's not built for it. So, like, might they spot a round just to kind of confuse him out of Sanya? Yeah, that seems possible. You know, I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world, but at some point he's going to have to go. And the way he goes, as I just mentioned, is finds a little tear in the fabric and then rips it open. He doesn't have really any other way to win. He doesn't jab you to death. He doesn't have, he has good ground and pound, but a lot of that's after he knocks somebody down and then he goes after him. He, he does, to his own credit, we haven't talked about this, Boasinha's got very good takedown defense, superb, athletic, scrambling. He gets right back to his feet, you know? Um, pretty amazing so like if i'm out of sanya you can drain the guy that way but he's really good at getting up there and it's not you know you're gonna drain yourself a lot in doing that so uh i tend to think that the likeliest scenario is he you might have a bit of a feeling out period that part might be true but once it gets going it's there's going to be no looking back for him he cannot conserve his resources and win he has to hit the gas pedal at the maximum level to win and there's just no other way. Get rich or die trying. That's it. <laughs> Get rich or die trying. I
0: love it. Um, I think there's a lot of factors here, man, on, on Israel's side. I, I made a prediction on a different uh, video for BeyondTheGame.tv, and uh, I, I believe Israel will finish him hopefully like second, third round. Not hopefully. I think in the second, third round. Hopefully, so that I can uh, look uh, like uh, a genius. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, but what, what what is your pick? Luke, if someone had a gun to your head and said, I'm going to take those brand spanking new spectacles off you if you don't give me a pick, what, what, what do you think? Who are you leaning towards? <laughs>
1: um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to go for Adesanya. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably later, you know, probably championship rounds where uh, Costa's never been, you know, think about that, right? What's he look like in the fourth round? He's probably going to fall off a cliff I, I, or, you know, unless he spots in the first, but then by the fifth, he's going to have a lot of issues. Um, and remember, they're going to be fighting at a weird time. You know, which will probably have an impact up and down the card, but still, one thing to consider. I just want to be clear about something. I'm definitively picking him uh, out of Sanya to win. I just feel like he's got too many ways to win. He's too clever. It is the bigger cage, which I know he dismissed on your show as well as mine. Mm -hmm. But just, you know, it's not a factor anymore, but I did think it would have been one had he fought him there. The only thing I'll say is I see a lot of people dismissing Costa. A lot of people dismissing him. Or, you know, saying um, he might... um, at least dismissing his abilities. I don't. Like, yes, he is not the technician that Adesanya is, and I don't think he ever will be. You know, he's just not, that's not who how he's programmed. That's not the way he likes to win. But in MMA, dude, will and muscle and and punching power and drive and and, in his particular case, practice around that. We don't want to admit it. We always want to admit skills win fights and that brains win fights. And in general, they certainly do. It's better off being that way than not. But that is such a, a, it's such a common way to win. If you are in shape, athletic, reasonably experienced, and you don't mind taking risk, and you have a good chin, and you've got uh, not only a good punch, but sort of a series of strikes, you've got decent defense to keep it on their feet, and the way in which he does sort of Chuck Liddell-esque in that way, which I'm talking about takedown defense, um, dude, you can do a lot with that. You can absolutely do a lot with that. Remember, even if Adesanya is better, the question is if they fought 100 times, how many times would he win? 51? 60? 70? Okay, let's say 75. Mm-hmm. He's, he wins 75. That means 25 times Costa would get his hand raised. You know, Is it this time that that happens? It doesn't mean it happens after the first 75. It can happen at any point. And I think that when you're dealing with someone who is that physically capable, who is that physically strong, and that unafraid of risk, that will cost him eventually, but he's also going to stack a lot of Ws doing that. I don't know if he's going to do it on Saturday, probably not, but it, it, it is no shock, it is no surprise if he does, even if we can look at Adesanya and say he's the more gifted striker by a considerable degree.
2: Absolutely. And of course, you know this is a man who's in his prime, and with a style like his... You might think, you know, as he gets older, as he slows down, as all the injuries pop up, it might not work out as well. But right now, he's undefeated and in his prime, so he would think the most dangerous he's ever been.
1: Mm.
0: It's going to
2: be 100%. It's, and it's funny because you could almost say that about about both guys
0: with Israel's speed and his technique and the way people change when they decline. But anyway, a lot of a lot of questions are going to hopefully be answered this weekend. Follow the man on Twitter and social media at L Thomas News, of course at Morning Combat, the brand spanking new account. Make sure to give it some love, and of course Morning Combat every Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, which. We've done the maths, and that is 1 a.m. Tuesday nights here in Australia. Uh, Luke, pumping out just fantastic content. And uh, we look forward to your coverage this weekend with the Charlo brothers fight and just in general, man, everything on CBS Sports that you'll be doing.
1: Yeah, it's a a great weekend for combat sports fans, and uh, I can't wait to see what happens. Thank you, boys. I always appreciate it.